Uh, welcome to another episode of the Pocket Mastermind podcast. Uh, my guest today is the founder and CEO of Be Bright Events, uh, Wendy Freeman. Uh, so Wendy has over 15 years experience planning live and virtual events, so very well qualified to come and share with us today uh, how to plan, market and launch uh, successful engaging events. So Wendy, a very warm welcome to the Pocket Mastermind podcast. Thank you so much. I'm excited to be here. That's good. Really, really good to have you. And uh, we were just talking beforehand and you were calling all the way from Atlanta, Georgia, which the amazing feat of technology is great. <laughs> since since uh, COVID all hit, I've spoken to so many people from different places and uh, people I wouldn't have otherwise spoken to, I don't think. So um, I love this stuff. It definitely makes makes life easier. Lots, <laughs> lot, lot more opportunity for connections. For sure. Um, so I said there in the beginning, 15 years of experience in events, where did that all start? How did you get into events? And then we'll talk about how do we do, how do we make good events, good engaging events? Because I think uh, there's been a big switch into virtual, right? The last few months in particular, more than ever, we switched into virtual and uh, there's more to it than just sending out a link and hoping people rock up. <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> so give so us a bit of background about you. Yeah. So the fifth, the 15 years was really, you know, in my professional world, but it started back when I was a child. I mean, planning my own birthday parties, planning youth group events, planning, you know, high school events, sorority events, things like that. And so when I realized that I could take my passion and skill of planning events and actually make money doing it, it was, it was a no brainer. You know, I went to school, I, I got a marketing degree retrospect, maybe hospitality might've been the better, the better thing, but that it, it, it felt natural for me. So I worked with many different companies. And then before I started my own business, I was with a company for 12 years. And when I joined that company, I was the fourth employee. And then when I left, they were up to 700. (laughs) So over the course of 12 years, it really gave me the opportunity to hone in on every different type of event from the really small ones where there's not a lot of budget that a startup company might be, you know, experiencing all the way to really large events. You know, the last one that I did for them was about 750 people, four days with a, you know, $1.5 million budget. So it really allowed me the opportunity to experience and plan, not just one type of event. So I think that's what, you know, one, it makes my day-to-day not monotonous. There's, you know, every event is different, different types, whether it's a conference, a seminar, a mastermind, a retreat, even, you know, as small as a round table or a lunch and learn all the way to, like I mentioned, those large, large events. And then now, obviously, you know, I started my company with the focus on in-person events because that is, that is my happy spot. I love the energy I love being able to keep the hosts calm and focused on their mission and their message while I'm the one running around behind the scenes, making sure that all the T's are crossed and I's are dotted. And then obviously with the onset of COVID, you know, quickly pivoted to virtual, which the, the company I was with previously, I was the one that I was there for 12 years was a technology company. Mm-hmm. So over that time, we did a lot of our own virtual events, more along the, the webinar mm-hmm. type but I had that technology background to be able to make a seamless transition. So how do you make that transition from the live? How do you then get that live feel 
of an event onto virtual because like you say webinar is one thing but it's uh, it's very transmissional isn't it? it's not very it's not really interactive in most cases how do you create a an engaging event effectively uh, online um and get that energy that you talk about in the in-person how how do, how do you go about that in the first place? Well, and that's a great question because I'm sure that all of your listeners have been on some really good virtual events and have been on some not so good events, right? Mm-hmm. The ones that it's playing on a separate screen or in the background and you don't even realize when it's over. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I've definitely been, <laughs> been yep. on those events where <laughs> all of a sudden it's like silent and I'm like, oh, I guess it's over now. <laughs> um, so I think, you know, what's really important for people to realize is that when it comes to an event, whether it's virtual or in person, of the planning part is exactly the same. Mm -hmm. It's just the logistics, the background, all of that. Where the real, you know, where the rubber meets the road is the 20% that comes down to technology and touch. And so it's really important to identify what are those elements of an in-person event that you love, that that makes that experience, and how can you repurpose that into a virtual space. So one of the biggest things obviously is connection and engagement and community. And like you said, with a webinar, it's very one-sided. So how do you facilitate conversations that make you feel like you are, you know, engaging, that you have a connection, not just with the speaker, but with the other attendees. And what I've learned is it really comes down to intentional agenda design and really leveraging the technology. I mean, Zoom breakouts is a great example of that. Um, And I've been on a lot of events where people are using Zoom breakouts, but they send people into a breakout. There's not a whole lot of organization to it. It's like, okay, we're gonna go switch, talk about this question, when really it comes down to how are you facilitating that? Making sure that you're going in with clear, crafted, like I, I like to say you should be an engineer of good questions. And think about what are those life-giving questions that are going to help people to open up, to become vulnerable. And I mean, I say vulnerable because the, the majority of the events that I plan are for mission, per, mission-focused, purpose-driven entrepreneurs, organizations, nonprofits that are making a huge difference in people's mm-hmm. lives, a, a big impact. And so when you create that safe space for them, that's where those connections start to happen. And then you bring them back to the main room and you do the group shares. I mean, that's one of my favorite parts about in-person events is where you see people get up and they share an experience Mm -hmm. and they've had this amazing breakthrough and everybody thrives on that. So you can definitely recreate that in the virtual space. And something else that I do with a lot of my clients, and I think a lot of people are really starting to pick up on this, is the use of Facebook or LinkedIn communities and groups and setting that up, not just your business page, but setting something up separately before the event. Maybe your speakers are popping in there to, you know, to prime the room, to get people mm-hmm. excited. You're asking engaging questions that are getting people to start to post in there and engage, even if it's an introduce yourself and what is your intention for registering for this event. Then when you come to the room and you see everybody's pictures and videos and you're going into breakouts, there's already that sense of community and connection. Familiarity. Exactly. And yeah. keeping that alive even after the event mm-hmm. is, is what's really critical. There's definitely, I've, I've, uh, Tony Robbins is someone who's, his team are very good at that kind of thing. Exactly. And they do their events. I mean, I, obviously 
he's been doing this a very long time and a lot of a huge budget and uh, a lot of experience and master i think he's a bit of a master when it comes to these kind of live events oh, absolutely Definitely <laughs> i've seen when you when you talk about events in general so you know regardless of online um or in person is there kind of good practice in terms of a structure um, to make sure that you're driving that engagement through throughout the entire event, regardless of whether it's, I suppose, an hour or a whole day event, is there? Is, do you kind of have some best practices as definitely, definitely? I mean, my motto is that success starts with strategy. There are so many people. You know, my clients come to me and they're like, "Well, I want to do an event that's going to generate this much revenue, and I'm going to have six speakers." And it's like, but for what purpose? Mm-hmm. Why are you doing this event? what is the problem that this event is going to solve? Like what is the, the key problem or pain points that your attendees are having? How are your speakers, how is your event gonna help them break through that or set them up for success or fast track mm-hmm. you know, achieving a, a common goal? And once you're able to really hone in on that, then you can make intentional decisions of Who are your speakers? Who are you going to reach out to for sponsors? What is the format of your agenda? You know, there is definitely a a strategy to crafting an agenda. It's not just, well, this speaker says they're available at 10 a.m. and this one is available at noon. It's making sure that, you know, your content is great, but if there's no context to it, then it's going to fall flat. Then it's just a bunch of people pitching or a bunch of people talking about things. But when you really have an understanding of your goal, and a clear understanding of your speakers, then you can create that flow of that event that brings out that engagement, that brings that experience. And how do you how do you keep um, so energy is one big thing, right? With with everybody who goes if it's just one speaker after the next, engaging as they might be by the, by the fourth or the fifth, mm-hmm. our attention span tends to wane. And me in particular, if I go to events, it's. Uh, it's got to have a bit of variety. Is there, is there kind of a, a roadmap for that kind of? That that's kind a great. Event? That's a great that question, event? and I'm and I'm sure that a lot of people have experienced conferences in in both ways. I think one of the best investments that event hosts can make is hiring an MC. Mm-hmm. A lot of people, for them, they want the event host. They want to be front and center. They want to be the one speaking, but they may not have that charisma that's going to bring the audience engagement when you have a professional facilitator mc who is experienced in doing those things you tie music into it they know the right questions to ask they know what to do to prime the audience the attention span is better the engagement is better and it's just an overall higher energy so that's one of my first things obviously music tech team lights all of that helps to you know, to ground everyone, but having an MC is a huge thing. And then again, you know, I am a big fan of breaking into smaller groups or breakout sessions, be it virtual or in person, Mm -hmm. so that you're not just always in a conference, you know, in a ballroom, you're not in one room with a big stage, Um, you know, creating different types of sessions, not, you know, there might be one that is just a speaker, there might be one that there's a workbook that people are working through to, you know, propel themselves into a you know, better place. Um, and then obviously, you know, you have lunches or evening events or networking opportunities so that it's, there's, there's no monotony throughout the event. How do you, and I guess one area for me is where I've been to events and some are better than others is 
getting that engagement from the the get-go whether it you know mostly between the participants more than anything Mm -hmm. um how do you get how do you get that energy going from the from the first part what's good practice in terms of ice breaking so i think one of the best things to do is honestly you know most events you go to it starts at 10 a.m registrations open from 8 to 10 you go you get your name tag you go sit in I, my, one of my favorite things to do that I see the engagement skyrocket is when you do a registration networking mixer the night before. So it's, you know, drinks, hors d'oeuvres, people are coming. It's on a flow. It's not like you have to show up, but from four o'clock to seven o'clock, get your name badge, meet some people. And then it's like the event started before the event even starts. And when people, it's like, you always go to an event and a lot of people, there's like that timidness and that. Mm -hmm you talk to the people that you know, or you're sitting there pretending to be on your phone, not really talking to anyone. Some, some awkward conversation with the people exactly. sit down in the empty room and then someone sits next to you and you got the awkward, hey, exactly. where are you from? <laughs> yeah. Exactly, but you do that with a drink in your hand or just in a, in a social environment, mm-hmm. then you show up the next morning and you're ready to go. You already see some familiar faces, whether you spoke with them or not. It's not just that. It makes it feel a little bit more personal and not as business. So I think that works really well. And it doesn't have to be, you know, chances are if it's, if it's at a hotel, like a lot of people tend to steer away from that because they're like, oh, that's going to add to my bottom line. Mm-hmm. Well, chances are you already have the space booked because you've been doing setup that whole day. And so, you know, it, it doesn't have to be, a full bar and a lavish spread. I mean, it could be very light, you know, cheese, you know, meat and cheese trays and yeah. beer and wine. Like, it, but, I, but that investment, you know, that's part of what I try to help my clients with, or I do help my clients with is I understand this is what your budget is, but let's really look at where spending that money is going to give you the best bang for your buck. So the overall experience of your event is critical, especially if it's an enrollment event where you're going to on day two or three, enroll people into a high ticket offer. So putting that money there, even if that means maybe your backdrop of your stage isn't as lavish or, you know, as Mm -hmm. impressive, it's like making those intentional decisions of what's going to truly get you the result that you're looking for. Yeah, and, and and the attendees going away with that nice warm feeling that exactly they had a good time. They probably met some people. They probably follow up with new contacts and and their network builds. The 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 benefit of that, albeit indirect, you may not feel it immediately, is what will get people coming to more events because right. they'll say, "Oh, that event was really good. I met so and so." Blah blah blah. And I think exactly. it can be underestimated getting things off to a a kickstart. It, it is. And, and, you know, when you think about it, when people leave, they have the experience that they had in the moment and then they have their memory, right? Yeah. So the memory is what's going to stick with them. Unfortunately, that amazing experience, it turns into a memory. Yeah. Do you think that people are going to be like, wow, that stage set was phenomenal. Or are they going to be like, that was a great networking mixer yeah. the night before it all began. Like those are the things that create memories. Exactly. And then how do you translate that uh, onto on, online events specifically? And like you said, the, the Zoom breakout rooms, I've been on a few events and suddenly you go into these rooms and no one really speaks to begin with. No one wants to speak over each other. I think that's mm-hmm. one of the challenges because it's harder in that environment to know when someone else is going to speak, I think. Um, 
How do you facilitate one of those rooms really well? That's a great question. And the number one thing is have enough moderators where you can put a, you have a designated person in every single room. I've seen a lot of events where they just split up into five rooms, but there's nobody in the room running the room. Mm -hmm. So assigning a moderator for each room is really, is, is definitely a key to success. And if, you know, some people don't have the resources to do that, even though, I mean, it could be as simple as just getting a group of friends together and being like, Hey, can you pop on? These are the questions I'm going to ask, but it comes, it, it, a big piece of it is before you put everybody in the breakout rooms, explain the process. Like, even if it's, you know, explain it verbally, throw a slide up or use the whiteboard, or if you have a projector, you know, whatever it may be. Mm -hmm. So verbal and visual level set the expectations. You're going to have this long in, in the room. The person with the longest hair is going to go first. The person with the shortest hair is going to keep, you know, keep the time. You're going to have this long. Each person has so many minutes. If you finish before, then this is what you do. If you don't finish, don't worry. We're going to bring you back to the room. So kind of level setting those expectations, everybody knows going into it. And something else that I always do is right before I facilitate a breakout before I send them. I'm like, all right, everybody get your pen, wiggle your pen in front of the camera. Mm -hmm. So that's doing two things. One, it's creating a state change. So everybody's back there aware you just gave them an action to do versus them being like, just waiting for the blue box to show up. Mm -hmm. So it's that state change, but then they have their pen in their hand. They're going to write down the instructions okay. that you're giving them. It just, it's, it's just the way that the mind I like works. That trick. That's good. Yeah. <laughs> so it's, it's kind of a, it, it you know, creates two, positive activities that you know your unconscious mind doesn't even realize is happening any and what are the other must do's when it comes to um events of any sort whether live or virtual but maybe take them one at a time um to, to really have the best chance of uh engaging with your audience so from an engagement perspective i mean before you even get the engagement i say reverse engineer everything think about two weeks after your event, put it in a spreadsheet and map it out from the bottom up. Mm -hmm. So that I think is the first thing, because if you don't have a clear plan in place, it's going to fall flat. And so many, so many people, the event is over and they're exhausted and they just put all this time into it. And then all the momentum that they built, it just stops. And so you've created this amazing community. You want to keep that going. Um, but I think from a, you know, Aside from, from that, it's a lot of it does come into your marketing and your messaging and really being able to speak to your specific audience. One of the things that I really, you know, try to communicate is that, you know, everybody wants to market to everybody mm -hmm. and your messaging is not going to resonate if it's very broad. So, so many people in their business, they might serve a, a bunch of different audiences. So think about what audience has the biggest challenge, the most common challenge of your audience that's what your event should focus on. And in virtual, it's easy because you could just do another event and you can replicate everything you've already done. That's the beautiful part about virtual. Once you've done the first one, you have your learnings, you know what was really successful, you know where you can improve. And it takes literally half the time to do your next one. And what I'm seeing with a lot of my clients is they've never done an in-person event before because of COVID, they've been put in, in the position where mm -hmm. they, have, you know, they have no choice but to do a virtual event in, in a way to get their messaging out. But now they have laid such a solid foundation to then add in-person events into their marketing plan in the future. 
Mm-hmm. What about um, in terms of uh, advertising or promoting ahead of the event? Like, how do you build that up? How, how far out, ideally, would you have as a minimum before you kind of pr- promote an event? Because you don't want to be too soon or too late, I suppose. Right. Um, so, so how do you feel I- about that? I typically say three to four weeks from a marketing standpoint is ideal. If you know that you're doing an event three months in advance, which I typically, you can, I mean, a virtual event, you can pull it off depending on your level of experience in two to three weeks. I mean, it it can be done if you have that knowledge. For people who have not, and they're doing it on their own, and even a lot of times if I have the time with my clients, I I like to have a 90-day window but from a marketing standpoint, really those three, you know, three to four weeks is ideal. If you know you're doing it in, if it's 90 days and you have an email list, go ahead and send out an email, save the date, be on the lookout, this is coming, have a landing page where people can put their email in so they're aware when registration is open. And I would say do soft teases leading up to that real, you know, three to four week marketing push. And, and even in that marketing push, you know, you, you don't necessarily have to run Facebook ads or Google ads. It just depends on who you're trying to reach and what your audience is and what your existing list is, but it's posting different things, not just this is the event come register. Mm -hmm. It's creating, you know, highlighting your speakers, highlighting your sponsors, highlighting, highlighting the pain. You know, I see so many events where it's just, it sounds so business and it comes across at on, on the user side as this is just going to be another boring day of webinar after webinar after webinar. But when you humanize your messaging and you really put that, that passion and that vulnerability in there, you want the, you want, when people are scrolling, you want them to read something and be like, how do they know? Are they talking about me? Like, yes, I feel that way. Yes. I no, I don't want to deal with this anymore. And then you get them to click. Um, so that works really well as, as do, videos, Facebook lives, just quick, short, little ones, having a video on your registration page, people don't want to read. You're still going to have the text there, but when you land on that page and you can see somebody talking about their event with that passion and that emotion, especially on the computer screen, you feel like they're talking right to you. I see conversion rates almost 30% higher when there is a video from the host on the homepage. Nice. Um, and what about in terms of existing audience? Do you need to have a reasonable audience before you put on an event or can you use an event to create an audience? And, and what's the difference in terms of how you might go about the the conversation leading up to that, to you know, between the two different approaches? That's a great question. And, you know, events, virtual events are a great opportunity for list building amazing opportunity for list building. And, and a lot of times you'll, you'll see your registrations and maybe only 50% of the people who actually registered attend, especially now there's so many free ones you register and then your calendar's full and you know, it doesn't become your priority anymore, but it's a great opportunity for list building. And one of the biggest things that you can do is when, you know, securing speakers and sponsors and social sharing. And so, you know, from the speaker and sponsor standpoint, It's about making it super easy for them and leveraging their lists. So I always talk about putting together a speaker kit. Once you have your confirmed speakers, 
give them social media graphics, pre-write emails they can send to their audience, pre-write those social media posts. That way it's an, it's, it takes them no time at all. It's a matter of, oh, it's here. And they want to promote themselves that they have a virtual stage that they're speaking. So it, it's a win-win for everyone. A lot of times it just doesn't happen because they're having to use their mental energy and that's not their first priority. So when you do that for your speakers and sponsors, you begin to leverage their lists and make it super easy for them to promote it. And then the other thing is social sharing, leveraging the people that register and adding some sort of gamification. Um, there's a tool that I love, it's called UpViral. And basically when you register, it pops up on your screen. It's like share this message or you know, share this on your social media and you'll be entered in a drawing to win and you pick whatever your prizes are. I mean, they can be whatever you choose. But this technology actually tracks everything for you. So you embed that, you know, code on your site. And then the day of your event, you log in and it shows you how many times this person has shared. And of that, of that person, this is how many registrants. So, you know, asking people to share is great, but when you can add a little bit of a game to it mm -hmm. and competition, people are so much more likely, especially now I'm seeing AirPods the podcast microphones, Amazon gift cards, like people want those things, mm -hmm. you know, and it's very easy to, yeah, sure. I'll go share this on my page yeah. and it tracks it automatically. You don't have to do anything. So I've seen that be a great opportunity for people with smaller lists to build their lists organically. And when is it okay to monetize? Cause I think this is one of the challenges um, because like you said, there are so many free events what point does it become okay to say actually we've got enough value in our event or on our event um with speak whether it's speakers or, or whatever the that that is what makes it what is the point where you can say actually i can charge for this event i feel strongly that you can always charge for an event if you are in person you would never do a free event in mm -hmm. person because you are delivering value and it's important for people to realize that you're still delivering value, even if it's virtual. You, you know, I, I think that a lot of people, especially with the onset of, of COVID, kind of that scarcity mentality came across and it's, well, people don't have money and I don't want that. It's like, but at the same time, we are all in business for multitude of reasons, one of which is to make money. Mm -hmm. um, so it's not bad to offer free, especially in the industry that I'm in. You want to help as many people or, you know, the people that I'm working with, they want to help as many people as possible and not limit that. So I always suggest doing pricing tiers where you have the free option and then there's the upgraded tickets. Mm -hmm. And you can do that a multitude of ways. You could just stream your event live through Facebook and then the paid ticket is what gets you into the Zoom room where you're able to participate in the breakout sessions where, and then, you know, you can add in, there's so many different things that you can add in. You could do a, a hot seat with the speakers. You can do an exclusive group. You can do, um, I call them wow boxes where you actually are sending a package to the attendees before the event even begins. Cause people love the swag mm -hmm. and they get, they get a box. It's branded. It has all this fun stuff. And I mean, again, it, it, you're giving value. You're giving you know, something tangible for something mm -hmm. tangible. And so, you know, obviously there's the recordings, you can always sell the recordings. So there's so many different things. When I did my event, um, I had an event last month, which was teaching other event planners how to create experiences. And so we had a free ticket and we also had the upgraded ticket and the upgraded ticket 
got them into mastermind lunches. So very small curated groups of, you know, lunch with myself and two other event experts. It got them um, one-on-one coaching calls. So they had a third, they each had a 30 minute coaching call and you can leverage your speakers and sponsors to provide extra things to put into those upgraded packages. You know, especially if your speakers are people who do strategy sessions, who do a website audit, things that they're typically offering for free anyway, Mm -hmm. or even a $27 lead magnet type of a thing, you work that into your package and your speakers benefit from it because they are then getting your attendee one-on-one on the phone where they can then enroll them in purchasing their product or service. So it's just about thinking creatively of like, what are all of the resources available to you and how can you curate a value, you know, a valuable package that benefits everyone mm-hmm. and, and then putting that at a price point that makes it a no brainer. That's the bit that take, I suppose that's somewhat of an art more than a skill is trying to, or a science, should I say, just to try and understand where the price point is. I think particularly for anyone running their first event, number one is the barrier of kind of the imposter syndrome. Can I charge for mm-hmm. this thing? And number two is how much is too much. And I think, it's very easy to undersell uh, yourself when it's, you know, educational material or, or uh, events like this, because I think mm-hmm. people get a little bit concerned that they people will think it's not good value, right? It's just the human right. nature. <laughs> and, and, and I experienced that, like I seriously experienced that firsthand. I mean, as an entrepreneur, we all have imposter syndrome, right? There are people that are light years ahead of us mm-hmm. And it finally, like, it finally clicked for me. I mean, it's been clicking over time, but after hosting, you know, I've planned, I can't even count how many events. The virtual event I did last month was the very first, like, event I did for myself. Like, I've never hosted my own event. And that was the moment where I realized, like, after the event, in the masterminds, in the testimonials, in the feedback forms, I might not be, you know, I might not be up here with the people that have these huge agencies and have been doing this for 40, 50 years through multiple generations, but I still am so much more experienced than so many people who don't have my experience. So it's a matter of like accepting that like, no, you're not compete. I'm not competing with the huge, large agencies. Like I'm a boutique, you know, and there's single event planners or people that are just getting started who to me, I am that per the way that I yeah. look at the people up here, they look at me that way. So it's just a matter of kind of reframing your belief in that and, and acknowledging that like, I do, I, I, I do have this and I, it's, it's my intellectual property. It's my experience and you're learning from me and that is value, but it is, it's very difficult to, it, it's very common to get stuck in that. Oh yeah. And I'm not as good as that person. And it's like, well, at the same time, that person might be charging, you know, $500 for their event. I charge 97 for my event. Now I realized I could have charged more, but it was the first event. And, but at the end of the day, I still put a price tag on it because I knew I was delivering value. And that's the more that you do, the more you learn, you tweak and you figure it out. Yeah. And, and if you go too high at some point, you'll find out reasonably quickly because you can measure the speed of sales, right? And if you need exactly. to adjust, you can always adjust, you can relaunch, you can do whatever. Exactly. How do you go about getting good speakers and good guests? 
because that's what really makes the thing right if, if you haven't got the people to come and speak definitely then, you, then the, the, you're going to struggle with the value anyway that it, that's very true and i think a lot of it it does it comes back to the thing that we spoke about at the very beginning of truly understanding who is your audience what challenges do they have and how are you going to solve them and then honing in on people who complement your message so you know if you know there's there's always the everybody wants the big well-known anchor speaker which is great that takes a lot of planning. It takes a lot of prep and it's not just going to be one outreach, you know? So I tell people the minute you start thinking about an event, I want you to take a sheet of paper and a pen, like old school paper and pen. And you write down as many names as you can, just anything that comes to mind, people that you know, then you go through and you say, okay, this is like a list. They are at the top of their game. These are people that they're, they're pretty good. You know, I, I have a, much more realistic chance of landing them. And then there's the people that you already have connections with that basically you're going to make the ask and you know, they're going to say yes, as long as there's availability. Then once you do that, I say, go and Google the people that you knew and see who else comes up that you might not know. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, with virtual right now, it's much easier to secure speakers because they're not traveling. They could do seven events in a day. And there's so many people out there with a mission and a message that are looking for virtual stages. So a lot of it, you know, I've had a lot of clients, they go into the speaker Facebook groups and they just, I'm hosting an event on this, you know, do, is there anybody in this group who would be interested? And granted you get a huge response because everybody wants the stage. That's where it's important to know what your non-negotiables are. These people have to check these boxes, have an intake form. If they check the boxes, then you have a phone call. And, you know, you can always gauge whether, you know, there's, there's so many different options and ways to go about doing that. Um, and then the other, the other thing, and I'll, I'll let you, you in on a little secret that I have found works really, really well is so many event hosts will go and they'll craft this email talking all about their event and how great it is. And will you speak? You have to make it about the speaker. Why are you reaching out specifically to that speaker? What have they done for you personally in your life that you want your attendees to experience and then take it one step further and record a video, send them a video email. They are getting so many emails. They're not reading them. The minute it says something about an event, I guarantee half of them, they, they stop reading, mm -hmm. but a video, it creates that, per, you know, that, that curiosity and it sets you apart from so many other people out there that are just sending these blanket, this is my event, this is my website, will you speak sort of a thing. And if you have the time leading into that, engage with their social media, especially if you don't already know them, follow them, comment on their posts, share, because then when they see your name come across in that email, there's going to be a little bit of familiarity. So it's just, it's, it's, it's just being intentional from the very, very beginning. And that's as, where you that's where you need to know further out, doesn't you? Because I think if you suddenly start stalking someone on social media for a week and then your email turns up. Right, <laughs> it right. Looks, exactly. It looks a little bit false. If you exactly. can build that gradually over a, over a number of months, maybe, then it's uh, it feels a bit more natural because like you say. Yeah, you do exactly. And then, <laughs> and then just leveraging social. Right. <laughs> and leveraging social media because you might write the speaker's name down that you're not, you don't know go to their social media. For all you know, you have four mutual friends and then you might have somebody who's able to facilitate an introduction. 
So it, it just, it comes into just doing your due diligence and just not, not just doing it to check the boxes, right? So many event planners I've found are just order takers. They want, they want this, they want that, and there's no strategy and intentionality behind it. But it's when you, when you put that, you know, when you step outside of the logistics and really think holistically, mm-hmm. that's where you start to find more opportunity. And I see we don't want too much of a, a disparity between like a superstar speaker and then everybody else. Cause otherwise if you kind of take away from every, everybody else, people just turn up for this one person and only Sometimes. really listen. And then you're like, ah, oh, and everyone else <laughs> it just has to kind of come and follow that act. Sometimes that does happen. I mean, it's important if that is the case that you, you present it as this is the keynote speaker mm-hmm. and this go this is counterintuitive, but a lot of times you put the keynote speaker after lunch on the first day, you open it up with a state of the union type of a thing and just laying the stage, setting the foundation for the entire event, getting everyone excited. It's when you start with that keynote speaker at the very beginning, or you end with the keynote speaker. Um, but when you do have that anchor speaker, it does make securing other speakers so much easier yeah. because who doesn't want to be on stage, be promoted alongside you know, a, a well-known, you know, you have Tony Robbins speaking, you're going to have no problem securing speakers. You have Russell no Brunson, problem, yeah. you know, Pete Vargas, everybody's gonna be like, yep, I don't, I'll do it. I'll do it. <laughs> true. This is very true. Uh, interestingly enough, this week I'm actually doing uh, Tony Robbins, his first uh, virtual uh, Unleash the Power. UPW. That's yeah. going to be awesome. It's going to so, be so um, awesome. And, and you were talking about the, the branded boxes of it just FedEx to my house today so you think the scale of that 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 kind of event uh shipping boxes to most i know they weren't able to deliver to to everybody but from california to just outside london and every other Mm -hmm. corner of the globe it's i think it's easy to with those kind of events i think there's some cynicism quite often around oh they're charging blah 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 if you think about the scale of that kind of production, the investment that's had to go into building that 360 screen he's going to have, the mm-hmm. Zoom technology. Uh, I had a one-on-one tech check with one of yep. his team earlier today. Right? All of that has to come from somewhere. And mm-hmm. uh, I think it's too easy to, to be a bit cynical about these things. And it is. A lot goes in, into delivering that value. And the experience that you had before the event has even started. Exactly. Like you've already had a super positive, powerful experience. I'm assuming you probably, if you haven't already, I mean, I've seen the dashboard for it. I've seen, yeah. um, I, you, you know, doing, I've seen everything are you, that are you, you, are you, uh, are you doing it as well? I'm not doing it this week. I have other client events, but, um, I've actually worked with the company that is doing oh, nice. all of his production for him. So I've, I've seen what they're doing and it's, it's phenomenal. Yes. Yeah, pretty um, and it's, and you're going to show up and you're going to show up ready to play all in because of the experience you had before it even began. Yeah. And so my next question then is, well, we've talked very much about the event organizers, but how do we as participants, uh, turn up? How do we make sure that we get the most out of events, whether they be, let's start with live and then how do we make them? Mo- and then let's talk about virtual as well because they're a little bit different. Obviously, you're in your own home most of the right. time or office or whatever. 
Well, in, in an alive environment, it's, it's a lot easier. You know, you're there, you, most of the time, you're not going to have your laptop sitting out. You're not going to be multitasking. You are tuned in and you are there. I think one of the things that is important at, at live events, I see a lot of people when you have the breaks, when you have the free time, you just go and do your own thing, but take advantage of that time because the other people that are mingling and hanging out, that's where you're going to make those powerful connections that are going to take you you know, further in business. I mean, I've met people that I've partnered with just by hanging out during those breaks. And, you know, sometimes it can be awkward and uncomfortable. And I mean, you can, for me, like I, when I meet people, I don't, it's not the, hi, I'm Wendy. What do you do? It's the, what did you think about that? Or did you, you know, bringing in something that we both just experienced together to open up that conversation versus the boring, I'm in a networking event sort of a thing. Um, so that would kind of be my, my advice for in-person is just leverage the time that they're giving you mm-hmm. and step outside of your comfort zone. I think so many people, they're just, and you're exhausted. These events, they are mentally and emotionally and physically draining. And you do need that time to reset. But even say to yourself, there's an hour break, just say to yourself, you know what, for 15 minutes, I'm going to step outside of my comfort zone and I'm going to go meet three people. Mm-hmm. Once you meet those three people, then you're done. You know, you don't have to commit to the whole thing, but it's just a matter of kind of setting a personal goal for yourself. And that's how you're showing up for yourself. You paid to be there. You're flying, you're traveling, you know, you've, yeah. there's an investment there. So you want to make the most out of that. And I think on the virtual side, it's a matter of, you just have to be so intentional of not multitasking, you know, like I turn off my second screen over here when I'm at a virtual event. My phone goes on airplane mode, depending on the event. I'm not going to say I do that for every event, but the ones that I am truly there, like I know that I will main, you know, receive tremendous value. Put your makeup on. Well, you don't have to put your makeup on ladies, put some makeup on, do your hair, keep your video turned on. You know, when, when you know that everybody's watching you, you're not going to be here just typing away. So it's, I think, I think virtual, it, it comes down to self-discipline, honestly. I think yeah, that's and, really, really it. And, and get comfortable, I would say. Kind of, you've got to make sure you're in a position, because some of them are long, right? I've yes. Been, some of the, I've been on some other live events that have been multiple days, and they can be, you know, the, Unleash the Power is going to be 10 to 12 hours yes. a day. And those are going to be long days. Oh, and I yeah. Think- Important to, on your, you could be on a different time zone as well. Like I'm going to be on a different right. time zone at the start at 3.30 right. in the afternoon. Exactly. And with that, I'll say, you know, especially for events like that and, and even shorter ones, plan ahead. The same way that you go to a, well, like me, when I go to an event, I have my little snack bag. I have my energy drinks. I, like treat it the same way, like have snacks at your desk, make sure you have plenty of water. You'll have time to refill and things like that, but be intentional before you show up and change your location. Do not stay in the same place. We all have laptops, iPads, phones. I mean, there's times where I have literally taken my phone, logged into zoom and gone and sat in my hammock just because I, I needed the sunshine. I was, you know, there's, sitting behind a screen, especially when you're not, you know, when you're working, we get sucked in and you just lose track of time. But when you're sitting behind a screen, just watching something, 
it is tiring. It wears you out. So having those state changes, moving locations, there's times I've taken it and I've streamed it on my TV in my living room. So I'm down in the living room. I'm not sitting at my desk in the same thing. So just, you know, switching, switching it up where you are having healthy snacks and what it sounds, it sounds so common sense, but there are things that you don't think about because we're all just so used to being in our homes and having what we need, where we need it. We don't have to think ahead. We don't have to be prepared. And until you realize that the break times don't don't start and finish when you think they're going to. You don't have long enough Correct. to make stuff for lunch. Correct. Right? Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> suddenly everything's, suddenly your entire schedule that you thought you were going to work to has gone out the window and you... Right. Oh, or you have a lunch break at two o'clock, but on, on my time, it's like dinner time. Exactly, so, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Crazy. So before we, uh, before I go into these kind of quick fire questions I've got for you, any other... Uh, top tips, do's, don'ts um, that you can recommend for somebody hosting a uh, either a live or probably more likely still at the moment a virtual event uh, to give it the best chance of success? Absolutely. So, I mean, everything obviously working up to the event, we, we kind of covered a lot of that. Tech checks, tech checks. I did an event. Um, It was right at the onset of COVID. We had 20 days to transition. Like this in-person event was going to happen 20 days. And so we quickly pivoted to virtual and I did tech checks. Like I typically block out, you know, the day or a couple days before and you schedule the speakers and they, you know, you give them all of their, you have to level set. Even if you think it is the most common sense, tell them everything. At this point, this event had 27 speakers. It was over the course of two days. And there was like, you know, four or five different sessions going on at the same time. I did my tech check out of the 27 speakers, less than half of them had ever used Zoom before. You take it for granted, don't you? That is something I did not think to even ask. Otherwise, I would have done tech check. I would have done tech training and then tech check. But I think that's something that's really important. And just making sure, I mean, even the same way that you just experienced the tech check as an attendee, you know, it's a matter of, okay, go ahead and share your screen. Okay. I'm going to pull that away. I'm going to making sure they're comfortable with everything and that whether that's the host or your planner, because then your speakers are going to show up more authentically. They're going to be more engaging. It's less energy leaks for them. And then the other thing is just making sure during that event time that you have the resources available to help with technology. You're going to have people that are asking questions in Facebook. You're going to have people that are sending emails. You're going to have people that are answering the chat. So if, if you are the person who's running the breakouts and the chat and this, like you're not going to be able to respond to people in real time. So making sure, and usually you can have that with a team of volunteers and nine out of 10 times, almost every single question you're going to get, you've already answered in your FAQs, right? So it's just a matter of having those FAQs prepared So all you have to do is copy paste and here it is. But I've seen so many events where the experience for the attendees from the beginning, just there's technical problems and there's one person trying to address all of the problems for 200 people. And so they've already missed the whole first session Mm -hmm. by the time you get to them. So those are kind of two things that, and if you can hardwire your computer to your internet, hardwire it. <laughs> I do that, yeah. You can't. You you can never accommodate the the internet going down full stop. <laughs> These right. Exactly. Over. Exactly. And uh, the other thing I would say on Zoom is make sure you've got the right account. 
yes uh, to host the right the number of people you've got coming because i've been on at least one where i was okay thank fortunately but other people were not able to get into certain parts of the event because their zoom license only held 500 people or whatever it was right and it's very easy on zoom right before your event you can upgrade your users and you can do it just for the month and then downgrade it i think a lot of people they think they have to upgrade their entire you know their entire license and you can you can just do that for a month which makes it very easy and understanding the difference between zoom meeting and zoom webinar zoom webinar you can't do breakout rooms zoom meetings you can but you're limited to only 300 people mm-hmm. in that breakout. So if you're expecting more people, there are third parties that can help have multiple Zoom rooms and split things up and stream, but it's knowing that going in versus you only think you're gonna have 250 people and then you just did an amazing job with your marketing and your messaging and you blew it out of the water. Now you have 500 people and it's three days before your event and what are you gonna do with breakouts? You can only send 300 people there. So where are the other 200 people gonna go? That's a very good tip, yeah. And, and I've always wondered how the hell do people create these enormous Zoom events? And, and so, there, so there are third parties that sit in and they can ultimately duplicate accounts, I suppose, is what there's... Yep, so they have the, the behind the scenes, the way that it works is there are a bunch of different Zoom rooms. So Zoom, it's you know usually one Zoom account with a bunch of different rooms. Mm-hmm. And then they are streaming the general session to everyone so you might see at the bottom, if you see the participant count, you might see there's 500 people in your room. I might be in Zoom room four where there's 300 people. We're watching the exact same thing. When it comes time for the breakouts, I'm going to be broken out among the 300 people that are in my room. You would be broken out among the 400 people that are in your room. But then everybody comes back and you're streaming again. So it's just behind the scene technology switchers and I don't do that. I bring in a third party when my clients need that. That's, <laughs> I know I know my lane of genius, my zone <laughs> yeah. of genius, and that is not it. <laughs> yeah, that's way, way, way above my uh, technology capabilities and experience. Exactly. Uh, anything, else I, anything else before I hit you with these quick questions? No, let's do it. Let's go for it then. Let's okay. rapid fire. Number one, do you have a morning routine? If so, what is it? I do have a morning routine. I will be completely honest that I actually set the goal this month to get back to being consistent with it. But I wake up, it is, I have an app that I look at that has a motivational quote of the day. I have three affirmations that I say out loud. I focus on three things that I am grateful for. And then it's a push up, sit up, squat. And then I make the coffee. <laughs> I like that. That's good. That's very good. Uh, three books you'd recommend and why? Okay. So the two that I just read, um, one is called The Power of Decision. And I'm looking to see, I don't remember who wrote it. Um, the other one is Average Sucks by Michael Burnoff. Mm-hmm. I just read both of those back to back. And, you know, I'm big into mindset, personal growth and and all of that. And it was they're the same things that, that all the gurus say, but it was something about those two books and those two books back to back that just put me in a place where it was just like, I have total control. I just have to step into my power. I have to own that. So that was really the power of decision. And then the average sucks. Um, that one was just about, you know, we all have so much more potential inside of us than we're, than we're tapping. And it's just a matter of, 
you know, leveling up and, you know, average does suck and average is, is boring and it's complacent and it's monotony. And, and, but Michael Burnoff just walked through all of the different ways that you can really just step outside and how, you know, we're all confined to a box and you're not going to run through that box. You have to grow so you can step outside of it. And the different walls of the, it was just, it just, I like I don't know, it, just, that concept, it was, it was awesome. And then I think the other book would be more of, I'm going to say it's the, the big leap. And that was the book that I read um, that really made me take that leap when I was in my, you know, in a successful six figure corporate job, but knowing that I wasn't fulfilled, that there was more for me, that there was, you know, that I wasn't living up to my full potential. And it just talks about, you know, how we create these problems for ourselves. We are on the brink of success or the brink of doing something good. And then we, we create, he called it our, um, I think it's a upper limit ceiling, or I don't, I read that one like two years ago, but I just remember that was one of the ones that just, again, it, I think, I think the common theme in all of these books is that we are our own worst enemies. Like we are creating the problems in our life. We do. And we until you, <laughs> yes. And until you have that awareness and make that part of your daily practice, I mean, I still, I still create problems for myself. The difference is in my journey, I've now been able to recognize, wait a minute, this isn't the truth. This is the story you're telling yourself. What is the truth? How do you overcome it? And it's, it's a practice. I mean, it, you know, nobody's perfect and I don't think anybody will ever be that perfect, but the more you do it and the minute that you begin to recognize that awareness, that's when the change can really start to happen. That's the difference, right? So what you just said there is you become aware that you can do something about it, that you do have the control and it's, you're not a victim of circumstance and, and things that happen to you. And I think that's the, that's the big change, right? It doesn't mean that you're going to always deal immediately with everything the best possible way, but it means that that time gets shorter and shorter where you're not dealing with it in the best possible way. And that just comes with the practice. And I think that's exactly. what makes the biggest difference. And, and reading for me is what really gives you the skills to be able to identify that. Like you say, it's a lot of stuff that a lot of people say over and over again, but said in slightly different ways. And it's the and repetition. Keeps, yeah, exactly. It just keeps it going in, in in a slightly different way. And I think um, it does condition you to being able to, to handle what, what life throws at you. Exactly. And, and I just, way. before you ask the next one, I just looked up, um, the big leap is written yep. by Gay Hendricks. Gay Hendricks. Yep. And then the power of decision is, um, Raymond Charles Barker. Lovely. And then I'm average sucks is Michael that. Burnoff. So they're going to go on my list. That's good. <laughs> <laughs> is it? I purely selfish. Of course I asked these <laughs> questions <laughs> so that I could get more books. Unfortunately, people like Tim Ferriss already cost me a fortune in books. <laughs> he, he's always listed, uh, new books. Uh, similar three people that you uh, either follow or listen to and you'd recommend other people checking out and mm. so Sarah Blakely is definitely one of my just powerful woman entrepreneur yeah, ph philanthropist just I love everything about her she is so inspiring um, actually her husband Jesse Itzler is somebody who is pivotal in my journey I I, really? I met or I came, became aware of Jesse when I was still in the corporate, knowing that I needed to make a change and just what 
he was able to do in his, it's a build your life resume. Um, and it's a completely unconventional approach from all the other gurus out there. But what he was able to do for my mindset was, was really huge. Um, and then I think another one, gosh, there's so many, um, I mean, I really like Michael that's Burnoff. Why I limit, that's why I limit it. I know, I know. <laughs> I feel like I shouldn't say Michael because I just said his book. Um, Richard Branson. Mm. Richard Branson would be another one. I just love yeah. his attitude and the way he approaches life. He's a bit of a kind of a hippie of business. In, in he is. <laughs> he <know>? is. <laughs> yeah, I've always liked Richard as well. Uh, three good habits or disciplines that you've, uh, added into your life over the years that you think have made a, the biggest difference? Reading, for mm -hmm. sure. Reading intentional books. I used to just read fiction, you know, fiction books, but reading, reading books that impact your life. Mm -hmm. um, Self-love, I think, is really important. And I think especially as entrepreneurs, we beat ourselves up all the time. Um, and then gratitude. I think gratitude is another one. You cannot be in a negative state, be angry, be sad, or, or you can be in that state. And the minute you focus on something you're grateful for, it goes away. So I think those, those would be my three. Do you know how many times I've said that? To, <laughs> really? <laughs> exactly that same thing. Yeah, exactly that same thing. I'm like, if you want to change anything, if you want to, if you're, you're, you're not in a good place, be grateful for something because it's absolutely impossible to be, anything other than happy whilst being grateful you exactly possible exactly um, three i call this like tools systems software apps whatever that you couldn't live without now oh man uh canva <laughs> <laughs> yeah i love canva i used to use photoshop all the time and uh, like, yeah you don't need it anymore <laughs> i don't need it anymore and i can get so much more done with canva yep. um google drive like I, everything is in the cloud, Google spreadsheets, Google docs, just everything Google. Um, and then I'm torn on, on the third because I'm, I'm in the process of switching CRM. So I'm not exactly sure what I want my answer to be because I haven't found <laughs> the one that works perfect for me. So can I just leave it with a, a generic, some sort of customer relationship management sales yep. tracking technology? <laughs> yep. Again, that's another thing where there's quite a few appearing and uh, some have bigger marketing budgets than others. And that's probably why they get in your face. Exactly. Uh, trying to track something down that does everything you want is not particularly easy, right? It's it's not. Everything is missing something. And I'm just yes. so sick of having six different systems to each do <laughs> one thing. I need consolidation. Well, so. stuff always falls through the cracks. Yes. <laughs> Last question. If you could spend one hour with anybody, dead or alive, who would it be? Richard Branson. Winner. Richard Branson, for sure. That's been my answer for... 15 plus years <laughs> <laughs> i like that good stuff. preferably right. preferably a necker island oh yeah that would, that would definitely be the winner <laughs> not in hurricane season by right right, right. <laughs> <laughs> so before we uh, say goodbye where can people track you down if they want to find out more okay so my website is be bright events co and it's be like you know, the word B-E, yep. brightevents.co.com. And then on Facebook, it's Wendy Freeman. It's Wendy with an I. 
also be bright events on Facebook, Instagram, and LinkedIn. Lovely. Well, it's been amazing. Thank you very much. I've absolutely loved your energy. It's been oh, thanks, David. It's been great. I love the rapid fire questions at the end. I've been on a lot of <laughs> podcasts and the best part was that you didn't prime me for those. I didn't know what was no, coming. No, no, exactly. I surprise. I, I try and surprise you with them. So I loved it. Um, they come a bit more off the cuff. Um, but good. Well, uh, we will speak again soon, I hope. Fantastic. Thank you so much for having me. And thanks for your time, Wendy. Thanks. Absolutely. Bye.